Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast of Find Your Finish Line. It is sponsored by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. I'm Mike Riley, and this podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but also every day in life. I'll talk with successful people from all backgrounds about their inspiring stories of struggle and achievement in sports and in life. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you a gentleman I greatly admire and respect, Joe DeSena, dad, husband, author, endurance athlete, and founder, CEO of Spartan. Hello, Joe. Hey, Mike. You know, I, I didn't know the name of this podcast, but I just listened to what you said, find your finish line. And I don't know if this has come up or not um, in the past, but I would say, isn't it funny how these finish lines, you and I, are so involved with, they are actually starting lines, right? They, they absolutely are, as a matter of fact, because, Joe, when we see somebody come through a finish line, we know their life is going to change or it's renewed. You see it every day. See it every day. And um, I didn't know it when I got into it. I don't know about you, but I had no idea that getting to that finish line was actually like, it was like a door that opened to a whole new world of what was possible. And, um, and I see it, I see it by the millions. It makes, by the way, it makes this really hard job that you and I have, it makes it rewarding. Um, you know, cause you get these, these, these conversations and these stories and these emails, um, that'll just blow your mind for the listeners out there. And like, whether they're fighting cancer, right? Whether they they lost a bunch of weight, they, they're back with their husband, they're back with their wife, they gave up drugs, they're no longer drinking. It's just it's unbelievable what happens at that finish line. And, and Joe, and you've said it a number of times, it's all of a sudden when they find out that they can go someplace that's uncomfortable, they become more comfortable with themselves and their life. It's almost like a dichotomy there, but that's how it happens, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I, we've been a big proponent of that idea of, of become comfortable with the uncomfortable. And um, we've pushed people to do hundreds of millions of burpees, hundreds <laughs> of millions of miles. And um, I was just thinking as, you're at, as we're talking, it's almost like God is getting even with me or they're giving me a taste of my own medicine with this damn COVID social distancing thing, Delta virus. Like, talk about being uncomfortable. Oh my God, am I uncomfortable right now? And, and, you know, we've always done things in an uncomfortable fashion where it's been a race or an event or a dissertation or a college degree. But this one is taking a lot out of everybody. Do you... I mean, your your book, Spartan Way and Spartan Life and Spartan Fit, and you're coming out with one, you know, toughest for families, so families can be a little tougher. Is, is it, you're coming out with it now because of the pandemic? Tell me why. Yeah, I started writing it at the beginning of the pandemic, and I didn't know, as I never know, you, you know, when you write a book, you never know if it's going to find a home or not. But I thought, um, you know what happened? I was, I had my boys... My kids were carrying a kettlebell because I'm a nutcase um, <laughs> one mile through the neighborhood from one friend's house to our house. 
and a woman pulled over, screeched her car to a stop and started screaming at me and asking the kids if they were okay. And she had seen them walking for the last 10 minutes carrying heavy objects. And was I a coach? And you know, were they being held without their will? I mean, it was, it was crazy conversation. Do they need water? And I said, man, you know, these are my kids. Everything's okay. We're, you know, thank God the kids went along with it and they didn't say, please, he's making <laughs> us do stuff we don't want to do. Thank God. And it occurred to me, you know, you can't really blame the woman because she hadn't seen kids outside probably in a decade, right? She certainly hasn't seen kids doing hard stuff in a decade. And um, sidewalks, believe it or not, for those listeners and viewers, sidewalks actually used to get walked on. People actually used to walk outside, you know, kids and families. And so I said, I'm going to write a book about, you know, teaching families that doing hard stuff gets the children ready to become adults. If, if, we, if we bulldoze and snowplow and helicopter all the obstacles out of the way in our children's lives, we are not doing them a service. Imagine, imagine if that mama and, and papa lion in the wild decided one day, you know what? We're not gonna get the baby lion ready for attacking a zebra. We're just gonna keep the baby lion at home and protect it. We're a little nervous out there in the jungle. We're gonna feed it meat on demand. We'll, let, we'll just watch Netflix every night. Like that baby lion would not, wouldn't be able to handle the adult life. So that's why the book was written. And like I said, I didn't know I'd find a home for it, but about three quarters of the way through this lockdown, I got a, a call from uh, Harper One, which is a, a pretty big publisher. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh my God, that we need this book. So I said, all right, here we go again. We're doing a book and uh, we polished it up. And I, I think it comes, out in a, it comes out in about a month. It's called um, 10 Rules of Resilience. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, I've got it pre-ordered. And, and, you know, Joe, I don't know if you know, I'm a papa now. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old grandsons, two little brothers that are uh, very special in our lives. But when, I, when they come to Papa and Nene's house, you, you'll love this. They'll try to do something. I go, no, nah, no, nah, that's that's not happening here. We're going to go out here and play a little baseball or do, we don't need to watch TV. Well, no, that's what, and they always give pushback. How do parents handle that pushback? Is it something that can just be switched off or, because I stick to my guns, obviously, and sometimes they don't like it, but in the end, they end up playing with it and they seem to be better off for it. Well, I think just here's the here's the thing you got to remember if you're listening or, or watching this is that uh, the number one motivator for a human being, the thing that motivates us most, our species, is the avoidance of discomfort. And it makes sense that that would be the case, because for most of our existence on the planet, uh, we've avoided falling off cliffs. We've avoided getting eaten by the lion, freezing out in the cold. Um, turning into a raisin in the desert, right? We avoid discomfort. That's what we're wired to do. So when our child or our nephew or our grandkid, when they uh, kick and scream a little bit, that's uncomfortable. And so we stick a pacifier in their mouth. We stick a phone in their hand. We put an ice cream in front of them. And um, that's what we do. But actually, uh, you're doing the kid a disservice. You're going to have to bite the bullet and, and um, withstand the pain and suffering of having that kid kick and scream a little bit 
uh, in, order to, in order to benefit them. I mean, my mother, my parents got divorced at a young age. My mother, she would not let, she wanted us to eat salad, right? She would make me run. My sister and I would have to go run when she would run 10 miles around this loop at a park called Charles Park. I hated it. When I hung out with my dad, we went for Chinese food. We had fried ice cream. We stayed up late. We played video games. He had like early adopter of video games before anybody had them. <laughs> and who the hell wanted to hang out with my mother? My father, it was so much more fun. Well, you fast forward, you know, I'm 25 years old, many years later, and I'm like, oh my God, everything my mother said was right. My father, my father was overcompensating because they were divorced and I spent a lot of time with my mother and I get it. I understand why he was doing it. And then when I started to look around the neighborhood I grew up in, I grew up in a neighborhood, uh, Mike, that was all organized crime. And um, yeah, you clean. Yeah, I remember you telling me the story when we met long ago. You clean their swimming pools. <laughs> I clean. I clean swimming pools for about seven hundred customers. Most of them. Uh, most of them were organized crime, or or they own businesses, you know, in, in, in some interesting neighborhoods. And I looked at the kids of the parents that were successful in that business. So they had big houses. They had a lot of cars. They had a lot of respect. They had rolls, one hundred dollar bills in their pockets. And you would just think that the kids would be tough, that the kids would be rugged, that the kids would have some of the attributes of, but in most cases, because those parents became successful, they wanted to give their kids everything, the ice cream, right? The, the phone, all the things that they didn't have growing up. And what it did was it made really soft kids. And so not only did I experience it for my mom, but then I looked at it as a science experiment, noticed, I noticed that, oh my God, the kids that were fighting for milk that had tough times, um, those were the tougher people that were more likely able to deal with life's challenges. So, so I didn't want to have kids. Um, I didn't want to have kids that were, um, that were like that, that were soft, right? I wanted to have kids that were tougher. So, you know, but if you do well in life um, and you're able to pay the bills, um, you, you're naturally going to have a tougher time managing that because the kids have it easier. Yeah, so, exactly. So what my wife and I decided to do, I, I decided, my wife thankfully went along with it, was yeah. we were going we to manage this by bringing adversity into the household. We hired a kung fu master uh, when the kids were very young to live with us. And the Kung Fu master was only going to speak Mandarin to them. And he was basically going to kick their ass every day. And now I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening or watching and say, oh, my God, this guy's a nutcase. That's crazy. But am I am I really like an hour every morning with a Kung Fu master, an hour every night, seven days a week? Is it is it that bad? I mean, think about all the young kids that had to live through World War Two in rubble and bombs dropping and losing their parents like. A Kung Fu master? Is that crazy? It's not that crazy. Oh, and the kids are going to eat more salad. Oh, my God, this guy's a crazy person. Like, is it really that bad? It's not like living through the Great Depression, right? And they're going to go to bed early. What? And he makes them go to bed early, too, right? Like, so although I'm saying, like, we, we're trying to raise kids that are a little tougher, a little more capable of dealing with tough times, um, it's not really that bad. It's manufactured adversity. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you mentioned the challenging times that we're going through, and it's a bitch uh, for all of us. 
but you're running a, a very large, successful company, so many events. How did how have you gone down the road, Joe, with with the great men and women that work for you and your company and kept them motivated, engaged during a time when events are going away or being postponed to another date? How how are you leading that crew, leading that team? Well, I'm doing the best I can, Mike. I mean, this is fucking hard. Um, I think there's a general malaise around the world. Um, it's systemic. It's, it's not just, um, you know, this company, it's every company people, um, they've reevaluated, reevaluated their life. They've spent a lot of time at home with their families and, you know, do they want to come in, uh, work early anymore and grind the way they used to. And, Thankfully, we've got a brand and an ethos that um, is all about the grind. And, and so certainly our production teams that are out on the road yeah. uh, and, and, and digging holes and, and, and working late in rainstorms, they're right back at it. Um, but, but it's been hard. It's hard. It's, uh, it's not just me. I mean, I walk around this Boston little uh, city here where I am and uh, the Starbucks, it's been closed since for over a year. There's no people even waiting in lot. Like people are just not getting back to work. They're not yeah. getting reengaged in life. And um, it's really sad because that's that's been my my mission from before the pandemic was Spartan the fuck up. Like get back to it, you know? Like like and not because it's not even selfishly I'm saying. I'm just saying like life isn't worth living if you're just kind of moseying around. Let's get after it. You know, what's amazing is I, I, you and I both have a lot of friends who are fit and work out and it's been part of their lifestyle. It's, it's how we live and we breathe. It's how we eat. And why this is a bitch and it, it's very tough. I, I don't know if it if working out all the time keeps me in a positive note where I go, OK, there is light at the end of the freaking tunnel. If I didn't believe that. I'd be going backwards every day and I can't have that happen. And so now that we're seeing, we're seeing more people get out and ride their bikes and walk around the neighborhoods because hell, there's nothing else, nothing else to do. So people have to keep that energy around them of keep working out. That's the message you keep, keep throwing out there, isn't it? Yeah. I wrote another book. Um, nobody <laughs> even knows about it, Not even the publisher called ready for anything. Really? And, and it's an awesome little book. I got the first copies today. My publisher is going to kill me. But it's a tiny little pamphlet and um, it cost me like 45 cents to make. And, and what it is, is exactly that. It's like you, you need to, as a human, do these, these basic things. I'm sorry, there's a fire truck going by. That's all right. That's life. That's life. life. Yeah. You need to do these very basic things on a daily basis so that you are ready for anything, whether it's a pandemic or challenging business times or relationship that breaks up. And, and um, it's not just working out, but it's like, you gotta wake up early, you gotta go to bed early, you gotta sweat every day, you gotta drink a lot of water, you, you should take a cold shower, here's the science behind it, you should stretch every day. And it's just like, so it's kind of like brushing your teeth. I, now I wouldn't know this if my mother was not a crazy person about it, right? She just <laughs> drove it into my sister and I's brains even though we kicked and screamed and wanted no part of it. And it definitely has helped me survive the, the, the valleys of death that we all go through every year. Something bad happens that we got to deal with in our lives. It doesn't, no one, 
No one, not even a billionaire, gets to escape those valleys of death, right? And so, thankfully, like you just described and I just described, there are tools that help you get through those, but you got to actually pull them out of the toolbox and use them every day. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't leave them in, that's for sure. You know, going back to the kid thing, back in 2010, uh, Andy and I, I, I had met you obviously previously at Lake Placid at the Ironmans you were doing and all that good stuff. But in 2010, Andy and I came because we, you know, worked for the registration company active to, you know, sell your registration. That's, that's what we did. And you know that, I don't know if I've ever told you this, the thing I got out of that meeting the most, yeah, we had to try to sell our wares and we were the sales guys, you were the buyer, the, the, the whole deal. When I walked away and left there, Joe, the best thing that happened at that meeting was my son meeting someone like you. You know, we try to do as parents all we can do for our kids and lead the way and try not to give them everything they want, as we talked about earlier. But, but I realized he met someone who was gone through such ups and downs and all of a sudden created his own business out of obstacle racing, which people thought was crazy. So first off, I want to thank you for that, because to this day, I think that has influenced Andy, just like you influence hundreds of others, thousands of others every day. I am. Um, I remember the meeting well. You actually saved our company because um, we were up against the wall um, and we needed capital to keep going. And then God literally uh, sent you and you showed up with your son. So I, I think it was a mutual uh, benefit. If I, if I gave a little tiny little sparkle to Andy, who's a great, great kid. He was on a few minutes ago. The, the, the audience didn't get to see him or hear him. But um, if I gave him a little sparkle, you gave us uh, a, a bag of gold. So we're even. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh so you, you, uh, what'd you do today to be uncomfortable, Joe? What did I do today? I came into the office and I'm dealing with the normal office headaches. How's yeah. that? I'm, I'm yeah. pretty damn yeah. uncomfortable. I woke the kids up. I started my workout. I, I, I get up a little before 5 a.m. Uh, science shows that uh, men should get up uh, around 5 a.m. I get up a little before 5. It sucks. It never gets any better. I, um... I immediately go downstairs. I, I, I put my little drink concoctions together, which is mostly water and warm water. And um, so I was uncomfortable then. I, I get my workout in. I start my workout. And around 6.15, um, I have to now wake up the kids because they didn't have school yet this morning. Once school starts tomorrow, I got to start waking them up at 5.15. But I got them up at 6.15 and that is an absolute shit show, as you can imagine, because I want to finish my workout. I'm dragging kids out of bed. My wife is yelling because she, like, as you can imagine, she's got to live with me and she thinks I'm crazy. She's never, ever gotten used to this in the 20 years we've been together. And so I, and I got the dog barking and uh, the parrot screaming and trying to get the kids up. And I know that I still got to get them going I got to get my workout finished. I got to take my cold shower and I got to be out the door by 7.05 the latest to make it into the office on time. And, um, and so my day starts out like, I, I don't know. If somebody did a study, they'd probably say, you know, Joe, you should calm down a little in the mornings. So you go from zero to a thousand miles an hour before 7 a.m. and it's probably not healthy. But um, I told my wife, I said, listen, I said, it's really hard. Like I, for some reason, people feel pressure in different parts of life 
for whatever reason, I feel the most pressure getting the kids up. Like, because, because like you said about your grandkids, like I take no prisoners. There's no way they're going to get out of it. Oh, but Jack's back hurt this morning. I don't care. Put some cream on it. Give him a Tylenol. But, but maybe he should take the day off. No, he shouldn't. But there was a birthday party last night. Well, he shouldn't have went to the birthday party. But he had homework to do. It was late. doesn't matter. Every day, they got to do the workout. Not because um, I'm a psychopath, but because as you said, Mike, and, we, and you and I both know, they will have a better day, a better life. Science shows their brains will be more developed. Um, they'll be healthier. They'll ultimately be happier. They're learning how to use their tools. So... So what did I do that was uncomfortable? That's how my day started out, Mike. You, you got your ass, you got your ass out of bed. <laughs> That's every day, Mike. Well, I'll tell you what, there are uh, so many athletes you and I both talk to, and moms and dads who are trying to do triathlon, trying to do Spartan, trying to do everything, and they have the kids. And these stories, Joe. They're the same every morning. I see my daughter and son-in-law go through it to get the kids up and out the door. And, and, and when we're there to try to help, I go, how the hell did I do this with my son and daughter? I, I, how did we even survive it? But at the end of the day, I think, I think what's going to end up happening is you, you, even though people, the woman on the street going, what the hell is this guy doing with these kids and stuff? The kids are going to come back and reward you with it. I truly believe our kids are going to come back and reward us with it, with the things they do in life. I see it with my daughter. I see it with my son. So, but it, but it's hard to stick to the plan, isn't it? The plan. Very, it's very, hard to it's stick very, to the plan. It's very hard. Um, it would be so much easier for me to just finish my workout or, or to roll over in the morning. Um, I've got a saying that I have to say to myself. I think I... I I think I said it this morning, you know, the alarm goes off at like 4.45 and I don't want to get up, you know, and, um, and somebody had recently, and two days ago, a lawyer that I know had read um, my schedule, my personal schedule, and she, I haven't talked, I haven't talked to her in a year and a half, and she, she said, Joe, I'm at a bit, this was two days ago, I'm at a bit, I'm a bit in a funk, how do you do it? And I wrote her a long answer. And this morning at 4.45 when the alarm went off, I remembered sending that email. And I thought, Joe, how do you do it? Because <laughs> I didn't want to do it, you know? And I, I rolled like, I don't know, a half a foot over to the right of the bed. And I thought, that's how you do it. You just start like moving, right? And then you put your foot down. And as long as, as, long as you're just like, all right, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom. And then I'm just going to brush my teeth. And before you know it, you're doing, you know, one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing. And before you know it, um, I'm on the bike, I'm on the treadmill, I'm doing my pull-ups, I got my rope climber, I'm in the sauna, and, and uh, I'm screaming at the whole house to wake up. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love, I'd love just to come there and be there for a week. I, and, and Joe, I have to tell you, when you're my age, I, I don't set an alarm anymore. I'm getting up... So it's like race morning to me every morning. Oh, four o'clock, four fifteen. All right, let's get going. It it just I don't know what what's happened, but but the kids laugh at me. My wife goes, "What? How long you been up? You don't want to know." <laughs> I got, I'm in the garage. I'm out right. You know the whole deal. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. As an endurance athlete, you're constantly pushing your body to new limits, searching for your personal best, for the next finish line. If you're training for an endurance event, whether it's short distance or long distance, 
Tropical Recovery is the key to you unlocking your potential. As the official topical pain relief partner for the Ironman US series, Activice's lineup of topical cooling gel, roll-on and spray, features 8% menthol and eucalyptus oil to provide the instant icy relief you need to recover smarter and faster. The water-based non-sticky formula withstands sweat to keep up with the demands and exertion of race day. Don't let muscle pain or sprains hold you back from reaching your potential, from reaching your personal best. Shop the Activices lineup on Amazon today for the support you need to find your finish line. Why do you think community is so important to be a part of the community and not just be that, that person out there on your own? Why, why do you like being a part of community? Uh, you know, whether it's in Vermont there in your town and uh, why do you think that's so important? You know, an ancient Sparta, I met with a, a professor at Cambridge university who spent his whole life studying um, Sparta, ancient Sparta. And um, he taught me a few things. And one of the things that the ancient Spartans believed and, uh, and it's really important to pay attention and study them, right? There's so many good things that, that came out of um, their advanced society at the time. One of the things they would say, and then we'll get into community, the, you know, the, the other kings and queens and wealthy people from other cities and states and countries would say, those damn Spartans, they, they like going to war because their training is so hard, it gives them a break from the training. Yeah. And, so, and so there's something to be learned there, which is, you know, train hard so life is easy. But the other thing they believed was that they had to build a community of like-minded people. And by building a community of like-minded people, when anyone got into a funk and was like not in the mood or whatever it may be, um, they pulled each other out of it, right? They held each other accountable. And so, you know, I like to say, you're an average of your five best friends. So um, if you've got five friends that are sleeping until 10 a.m. every morning and they keep losing their jobs and they're not getting after it, you're probably gonna fall into those same traps. Uh, science has shown just one friend that's not eating well, not taking care of themselves, maybe is a little overweight or even obese, it, it makes you, I'm gonna screw up the number, 50% more likely that that is what you're gonna look like. So it's very important uh, we not only choose our friends to uplift, but then we return the favor and impose your will on other folks. Like I, if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody drinking a soda, it's not unlike uh, me to not rip it out of their hands. Who's that? There's an actor, Tracy Morgan, I think his name is. I found him in an airport once eating Doritos. I ripped the Doritos out of his hand. <laughs> he, he doesn't know me. I don't know him, but I was like, why the fuck are you eating Doritos? <laughs> and, we, and we got into it. And so and so um, we owe it to um, the community that we know or or are in front of to hold them accountable and uplift them. And and um, and that's how we all get better. So speaking of community, how have you gone down the road, Joe, of communicating with your Spartans? You know, they want to get out there and they want to do events. You postpone one for four months, you cancel one. You know, it's the same in, in the entire endurance community, as you know. What kind of communication have you been having with them? What are you saying to them? Yeah, you know, the first year of the pandemic, it was um, my kids 
doing um, workouts every morning live. My little daughter is she's she's like Shirley Temple. If anybody's cutie, I tell you what, she is a cutie. I love she is. She is so funny, and she uh, would get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views, and she would just inspire folks. And I would do my daily workout, but I I wasn't nearly as um, you know popular as she is. But you know, lots of workouts. Uh, I would do a five a.m. warrior call. I called it every morning. We get on the phone. At or 5.30 a.m. And um, so I, you know, that communication, but, but look, uh, there's, I'm not gonna pull any punches. The reality is when you gotta cancel 325 events in 45 countries, uh, you're gonna piss off a lot of people, right? And everybody would expect a refund. And it's like, I wish I could refund everybody, but how would I refund everybody if I already spent 80% of the money getting ready to put on the event and then the event gets can't like, for those listening, a lot of people don't understand the event business, but like I went to put on a race in Scotland, call it eight or nine weeks ago. All the approvals, everything set up, we built everything. We spent, at that point, we spent 85% of the dollars required to put on an event, right? And um, a week before, the local authorities said, oh, we, we, you need to cancel the event, you can't have it. What do you mean we need to cancel? Well, you know, health rules and this and that. What are you talking about? We have a permit. He said, look, we're, we're going to have to go to court. Okay, well, you can go, you could take us. And I only, I only have a week before the event happens. Right. You could take us to court this week, but uh, you're not allowed to be in the courtroom and you can't have your lawyer present. We'll just let you know the results. Uh, no, no. And so we fought that. We finally have an open hearing by like Thursday. The event is Saturday. We win. We win. We can have the event, right? Friday night, we get a letter from the higher-ups in politics in Scotland that say, nope, we're going to overrule your win in the court and you can't have the event. Everybody will be arrested if they show up. So, you know, that costs us over a million dollars. People don't understand, right? Can you imagine the feeling of those people that paid for airline tickets and travel and went there and they're in town and, you know, and then, then I'll receive emails that come in to us that say, they're pissed that we can't believe you canceled and you went along with the authority, went along, like they're going to arrest me. So <laughs> anyway. And, and, you know, a lot of the fodder is it's, it's not, I, I'm not going to say it's self-inflicted. What it is, is it's a sign of the times because people are so damn frustrated and they want to take it out on others who uh, want to enhance their lives. It just, it, it, I, I, I happens all the time. Uh, so when we're able to go to events and, and some are opening up, it's, it's, it's like a new birthday. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, what the Spartan name, I know where it came from, but all of a sudden you started putting on events, Joe, but then you realize there's a thing about being a Spartan in life because you want to have a person who's well balanced. Explain how that happened from I'm putting on these events and then you know what? We've got to be a Spartan in life. Well, I, I um, like I said, my, my first event, I think years and years and years ago was, was a 5K and that finish line became my, my new starting line. And, um, and then my mom was pushing her philosophies of being a yogi and um, didn't matter what religion uh, you believe in, just be a good person. And so then she was 
passing on all these thoughts of, which later can be interpreted as, you know, being a Spartan in life. And, um, and then being an entrepreneur is such a battle. Every, it's like going to Thermopylae and, you know, the, and the battle that 300 went through every single day when you're in business. So I think the combination of mom, I think doing the races myself, I went on to do really grueling races around the world. Some of them, you know, a couple of weeks in duration. Um, and so I just started to really develop the Spartan mindset. And then coming from the neighborhood I come from, seeing all those guys go to jail, some for 25, 35 years. Jeez. Talk about having a mindset and being able to sit in a cell for 20, no matter what, forget about for a second what they did to put themselves there, just being able to survive mentally for that period of time. So I think it's been mashed around in my brain for decades. And then we got lucky, we called it Spartan. And it just became obvious that this is much more, you know, our tagline forever was you'll know at the finish line. Yeah. Right. So what will you know? Well, you won't know until you get to the finish line. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> right. So so it just became this idea that like when you sign up for a tough event, see, everybody's got it wrong. Everybody thinks, Mike, you know, I'm not ready for that event right now. I'm not ready for that business. I'm not ready for this or that or that relationship. But once I'm ready, then I'll pursue it. Nope. You got it all wrong. You need to commit to it first and then you get ready, as you and I both know. So the Spartan mindset kicks in. You become a Spartan. Once you sign up for that hard thing, you start going to bed early. You start waking up early. You start training. You put down a glass of wine. You start drinking more water. You start eating less cookies. And, um, your, and so your, friends, your friends don't want to know you. <laughs> yeah. Friends don't want to know you. And it just became obvious that this is... This is a Spartan mindset we're talking about, a Spartan way of living. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered the question well. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you did. Uh, so I have a thing on this, the, the last question, Joe. It's called Try Table Racing. Try Racing or Table Racing comes out of a lot of buddies of mine run, uh, race the Baja 1000 in trophy trucks. And I've been in one of those trucks in the second seat for a thousand miles through the Baja. And I'm telling you, Joe, you got to do this one day. You wouldn't believe the thrill and exhilaration of going over things you can't think. It's, it's unbelievable. So anyway, they sit around and reminisce after the event. You know, they start bullshitting about uh, what went on, what they hit. And so give us a little table racing about an event you did that pops into your mind, good or bad memory. What, what would that be? Let's reminisce about that. What is it? I'm, I'm jealous of the Baja 1000. I got to do it. All right. So I'm um, in Alaska. I signed up, a friend signed me up uh, on a team of four, three men and a woman to do the Iditarod. You know, the Iditarod is, the, is a dog sled race. In, in January, one week before the dogs go out, we're going to do it. Um, we're going to do it via, via bike, via snowshoe, and be a cross-country ski. There are going to be three disciplines um, throughout the distance of this thing, the Iditarod. And so uh, we get on the starting line. And it happens to be a sunny day. Red Bull is set up there. They've got this big Russian tank. Is there? Is there like their mascot for the event? Well, the Russian tank sinks in front of us. It sinks and disappears into the snow. 
And the, and the reason is there was so much snowfall that the weight of the snow in the tank broke through the ice and the tank just disappeared. Oh my God. And so there was so much snowfall that we ended up pushing our bikes, okay, for the entire third, literally pushing our bikes for the entire third of the thing. Well, we drop our bikes. We're, we're days behind schedule, days, many, many, many days behind schedule. And um, people are dropping out. One guy uh, fell through the ice, almost died. We can't navigate the trail because there's so much snow. We're breaking the trail for the dogs. And, um, <laughs> and now we get on snowshoes and we, and we go uh, that third on snowshoes. The final third is on cross country skis. We get up and over the range and there's not enough snow for the cross country skis. So now we're on foot again. So it became just a slog of, of hell. It was 30 below zero for most of the time. Some of the best moments I could remember is when the four of us saw this giant grizzly coming at us and uh, we got in position, we got our hiking poles out and we were ready to like fight our, our way to survive. And it turned out it was a tree. We were all hallucinating because we hadn't slept oh in I don't God. know how long, but all four of us had the same hallucination. Um, the next great moment was running into some Eskimos and them allowing us into their igloo, which if you and I were to see it right now was probably, I don't know, at most eight foot round and somehow felt like I was in a four seasons um, because it was, I was, I mean, I did not want to leave this igloo. No kidding. <laughs> um, we were probably in there for the better part of 25 minutes and it felt like five days in a four seasons, um, right? You had to get back outside out of that igloo. And then in the middle of nowhere, we ran into a Marine who was dragging a carcass behind him, what? who lived, he had to be 300 miles from anything, okay? We follow him to his house and um, his wife made some kind of goulash soup for us, which was probably from the previous carcass he had dragged <laughs> home. And again, it might as well have been a five-star Michelin chef. I don't know what we ate, but the fact that there was a carpet and heat and food um, was awesome. The last 50 miles of it, we, we somehow lost each other. How that is possible, I have no idea. But um, the guy and the girl on the team were no longer with me and my friend Ben, who funny enough was an Ironman athlete out of Canada, very, very accomplished Ironman athlete. Ben Greenfield? And, hmm, I didn't hear you. Was it wasn't Ben Greenfield, was it? It was not Ben Greenfield. No, oh, yeah. very accomplished. Um, and I'll remember Louvier or Louvier, um, first or second place, uh, uh, really, yeah. really uh, high level athlete. And um, Ben decides we're about 50 miles, we estimate, from the finish. I lost my two teammates. I don't know if they're like four miles behind me, four miles ahead of me. We've completely lost our minds at this point. Just got to get to the finish line. And um, I tie, Ben falls in the snow face first and he decides he's done. He's not continuing, he just wants to die in the snow. I pick him up and I tie him to my backpack. And um, so, so he, I got this string tied to my backpack tie, 
And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not even an endurance athlete. I'm a businessman. This guy is the best athlete on the planet. Why am I dragging anyway? Ben, just one foot in front of the other. Don't, you know, just stay. You're, you're now like two feet from me because you're tied to my back. And what he was doing was he would continue to untie the rope and then fall back on his face and just want to die. And so you can imagine the frustration of having to stop walking, just wanting to get these last 50 miles over with, can't find my other two mate, teammates. Well, we finally get, I think we're in Nome, Alaska. We finally get to Nome. And for the first time in a couple of weeks, I see street lights and like a street, which is covered in snow, but I can't find the finish line. It's like two in the morning. And my mind is so crazy and Ben's not talking. He's still tied to me and I can't find my two teammates. And my mind is saying, there is no finish line. They're, they're messing with me. Like, like my mind is convinced. Yeah. I can't find the finish line. Like, why isn't the finish line here? I see houses. So now I'm screaming, like, can't find anything. There's a FedEx. I run, I find a FedEx. So I bring Ben over to the FedEx building. It's two in the morning and I prop him up next to the building. Ben, just stay here. I have to go find, I have to go find this finish line. I don't know where the finish line is. And I'm walking and screaming around this town, trying to find anything. Finally, someone sees me and they bring me into a school. And sure enough, inside the school are all these amazing athletes and people that have already, you know, 100 people had come in um, before us. And, um, and I'm, now I'm looking for my two teammates. And I got Ben back at least two miles back at this FedEx, right? <laughs> so I got to go back. I got to go back to the FedEx. I got to get Ben. And on the way, I run into my two teammates. They, now they're coming in. Good. We get back into the school. And I think... Mike, I think I fell asleep on the gymnasium floor in this school and I woke up 26 hours later. In the same spot? Same spot, 26 hours later. Oh, God. Um, but I, I live to tell a story and, and it's a story I'll tell forever and remember forever. You know, I, I met with a neurosurgeon recently and he said, when you do hard things, not only do you get the story out of it, but neuroscientists, neurosurgeons can actually see little, little lines in the brain. You see the start of the hard thing and the finish of the hard thing. And when you don't finish something, it leaves a gap. And those gaps are hard to fill. And so the more hard things you can do, start and finish, the more lines, the more tracks you have in your brain, and then future endeavors can follow those tracks. And so I never knew there was an actual physical imprint in the brain, but, but I'll tell you what, uh, I bet if the uh, neurosurgeon looked at my brain, they would clearly see Alaska. It would be like a thick line of tracks going in circles. There'd be a spot where Ben was tied to my back, where we saw the bear. You know it's imprinted up there, Joe. There's no oh, doubt it, it, it's friggin' imprinted up there. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Uh, one thing I love saying to the competitors at the start line, uh, I call it the simplest lesson in life. 
just finish what you start. And, and it's amazing what happens to someone when they finish what they start. Because you know how many people start something and they don't get to that finish line. So, Joe, this has been, i tell you what, I could talk to you for hours. I miss talking to you. I, we we got to communicate more often. Uh, you're, you're a hell of a guy, and I admire everything you do. And I know it's, it's a bitch of a time. Uh, I, I'm a positive guy. I think we're going to get out of this thing one time. It'll be different when we come out. But we'll come out and keep doing the same things we've been doing for years and years and years, I hope. Let's do it, Mike. Um, I, I love talking to you. I love talking to your son. Um, you definitely inspired me. I needed this today. So thanks for calling. Thanks for doing this. And um, I'll talk to you soon. If you, get, pleasure, bored, if you get bored one early morning, call me. Maybe we'll take a trip to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> I've got iron. There's an Iron Man up in Alaska next year, so I'm going to get up there. I hope right. I get out. You never know. I may be never climbing know. a mountain never somewhere. Know. <laughs> Thank uh, you very much, Joe. Have a great day, buddy. See you, bud. Miss you. Bye. Uh, you too. And thank you to everybody for joining us on Find Your Finish Line, presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. Well, you know, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and give us a review if you would. You can pick us up, obviously, on uh, Spotify and podcast, on the Apple podcast, everywhere. Leave us a review if you would. Well, everybody, I'm going to sign off by saying, remember, family is everything. On all your tough decisions in life, keep the family in mind, and that decision may get easier. Take care of yourselves out there, and as always, my warmest aloha. <laughs>